you know, one of the things that the men go through in recovery, one of the seven focus points is vulnerability and honesty. Those are two different ones. And for them to come here and be vulnerable and be honest is part of their process in recovery. So this is just another step that they can do while telling their story and being honest about it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Casting Light, where we bring you stories of recovery and hope from inside Godding Light. Today's episode of Casting Light is underwritten by Treadstone Funding. We appreciate their financial support for this podcast series. And my name is Phil Tower. I've been with you on each of these episodes where we brought you every imaginable kind of story of recovery and hope. And we may be changing up the formula a bit today on this episode. In fact, I have no idea what I'm getting myself into on this episode. <laughs> uh, I am speaking with the current development director of Guiding Light, who has an insider seat to not only how this whole podcast series came together, which is interesting in itself, uh, but also she has a story of recovery and hope, uh, maybe more hope than recovery, but I, I'm going to let her tell it. Star, this is interesting because I've known you for some time. I've interviewed you on the radio. I really don't know a lot about your backstory, about how you came to be development director at Guiding Light. In fact, I will admit to our podcaster audience out there that I don't even know if you held a role here prior to becoming development director. So please clue me in, clue our listeners in. How did this all happen? How did you end up here in this role? Well, um, 2015, I applied for the development coordinator position. I actually applied for the job three different times before I finally got an interview. They would hire somebody, and 90 days, it wouldn't work out. They'd let them go. I see the position again, and um, I don't know exactly why I applied for a lot of other positions, but there was a lot of fear in it, but there was something calling me to um, that I was supposed to be at Guiding Light, And I applied the second time. They filled it with somebody else. No one was even calling me for interviews. Finally, a third time I saw it and finally got called in for an interview and um, went through like four or five interviews (laughs) before I got offered the position. And so um, in January of 2016 is uh, when I um, got hired as a development coordinator um, working under the current development director at the time. Had you done anything in the area of development before? Um, I did event planning for nonprofits and um, like promotion, program promotion, mm-hmm. community outreach. I had not done actual fundraising other than fundraising for events. In my past life, I was in sales and marketing. And in, um, I think it was in 2010, I just got tired of being on the road and went back to school to take some classes. And okay. that's what got me into the nonprofit sector. So this was not completely foreign to you. But just for those listening who don't have an experience with development, I mean, it is, it's fundraising. And in a nonprofit setting, it is a very critical function of any not-for-profit organization. And it is competitive, but as you said, it can eat a lot of people up and spit them out. It can be be very challenging and incredibly rewarding. But you said, Starly, you you thought you had a calling. There was something pulling at you, pulling at your spirit. (laughs) No call 
the first time. No call the second time. They don't even want to look at you. And then the third time, they're like, okay, come on in. And they run you through the ringer, four or five interviews. <laughs> what kept you coming back to apply for this? Do you know what it was? Um, you know, if, if, the, if the job itself, there's, you know, in my sales and marketing job, Really, the development coordinator would be coordinating a lot of those marketing pieces. Mm -hmm. So I knew I'd be a super good fit. I knew that I could do every single thing that was in the job description. And and just the idea of, I didn't even really fully know how intense our programming was, but I knew it worked with homeless individuals. And main reason I even got into nonprofit is I wanted to help people because I had been in a place where I needed help and I didn't know help existed. And... Guiding light just kept guiding light, shining a light, and um, just kind of that beacon kept like drawing to me to come to the doors and see what I could do. And I know a little bit about that past, but not very much. You would you say that you were homeless? Yes. At one point. Yes, with three kids. Yes. Wow. Yeah, it was. Um, my son was probably, my youngest was probably, he's 22, so I think, I'm guessing he was not even a year old, and um, fairly newly divorced, and I had a job. My kids were in school, my kids had daycare, but I could not afford to get into an apartment, and thankfully, it was in the summer, and so we lived in Indiana at the time, and so we camped pretty much all summer um, in the dunes, the campsite there, the National Dunes, and um, they thought we were camping and having a good time. They go to daycare during the day or summer camp, and I'd go to work and um, go back. And um, I'll be honest, even one time I um, took them to the store, and I had no money, and I found a ten dollar bill on the floor. And instead of giving it to the one of the you know the people that worked there, I needed the money. Of course. Um, and I felt like guilt, uh, major guilt after that. But um, yeah, and I didn't. I, I was ashamed of it, and I didn't tell a soul, and I didn't tell my church. Um, when I did not have my kids because I was divorced and sometimes they would be with their dad, I would sleep in my car in the back of the church's parking lot and no one would know. And, um, I didn't tell my friends, I didn't tell my coworkers and, um, but I was able to save money that summer so that, that, you know, before school started, I was able to get into a small apartment. And thank God for that. Was, was there a point though? where you almost thought, boy, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I mean, there's a fear as a parent, but also a fear of just, as you said, life is unfair, and there's such a challenge now. That was many years ago, but there's such a challenge now with affordable housing. It's it's impacting (laughs) at even greater numbers. I can't even imagine, yes. Was there ever a point you doubted you were going to get through it? I I always describe it as um, I was in a fast-moving river, and the only thing was my nose out of the water, Mm -hmm. that I could almost drown any minute. It felt like that. Like I could just barely tread to keep my head up to breathe. Um, Yeah, I cried a lot. I felt so much shame with it because I thought I was the one doing everything wrong. I wasn't doing it right. And I was making mistakes because when you're in that desperate mode, you do make bad decisions. And it, it uh, I didn't tell anybody anything until ever. I never told that story until I was working here mm. one afternoon. And one of the gentlemen that was staying here, um, he flat out asked if I understood or if I could really understand what he was going through. 
And it was my first time I sat down at the table and talked to that individual. And then I opened up and said, yes, I've been homeless. I know what it's like. Um, And I didn't know. I know now that there was so many, there were services out there, but I didn't know. And um, I kept it a secret. You never expected to be homeless. That's why. No. Yeah. But I still thought it was my fault. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned this stigma because I've talked with people who've gone through divorces and there's still, there's still this stigma with divorce, um, for whatever reason and mental health and so many other things. And, and, and it's almost like we look at people and we, we expect some people are not surprised that they're homeless, maybe because they dress or behave in a certain way. And others were like, we couldn't even begin to be honest about that because of the level of shame and the stigma but I'm so glad that you were able to share that because there, there should be, you know, the, the very basic phrase, which I have used so many times before with people who are believers and not believers, there but for the grace of God go I, there but for life go I. Stuff can happen to people, even people who think they have it all worked out. And then the the second favorite saying I have, which is, not in Scripture, but it's been repeated a thousand times by wise people of faith, man plans and God laughs, or <laughs> mankind plans, humankind plans and God laughs. And, you know, I what I love about your story is that you just, you didn't give up. You were determined, and there, there's some, <laughs> you're going to talk about a stigma, a stigma of not being employed or being underemployed and trying to go for a job that you feel and you believe in your heart of hearts that you're qualified for, and then you get knocked down or just ignored. I mean, that had to be really just defeating. But then that third time, when you got the call saying you had the job as development coordinator, what was that feeling like? That was relief, because I'd actually been unemployed for that whole 2015. Um, I Well, actually, by the beginning of 2015, I had left another nonprofit so it was definitely a relief to finally um, be employed and doing something that I knew I was going to be really good at and um, that I knew that God called me to do. I've always said that God called me to do that. And that goes back to, you know, everything that did happen. You know, I it, I don't say God did it to me, but it made me stronger. Everything mm-hmm. does happen for a reason. He knew I could handle it, and he knew that I would grow from it, and then it would benefit me later in life, here at Guiding Light. You know, and you, I'm so glad to hear you say that, because I think many of the men that we've talked with on this podcast series, Casting Light, they've shared the same sentiment that, you know, that that mess that my life was in kind of helped give me perspective and has really has been something that I use today as a person I am, whether it's in work or my role here at Guiding Light, and you've been able to use that. As you look, and you have a unique perspective now, you've been here five years? Six years. It's coming six up years on six in years, January, yeah. right. Yeah. It's the longest job I've ever held, too. <laughs> Which is wonderful. So congratulations early. I want to ask you, though, you have a unique perspective to the men that come in here. You see them when they come in. You see them when many of them graduate successfully from the recovery program. What's that like? Well, when you see um, gentlemen come in here the first time and they're in that probationary period, there's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of darkness. Um, 
you can see the darkness in their eyes. I always say that I can see that darkness in their eyes. Um, we've heard stories of how scared they were, were they able to get past that probationary period? But 30 days later, there's something that changes, and, and it's just 30 days. And they're here four to six months, um, some a little bit longer, depending on the job and that they get afterwards. But at 30 days, there's a twinkle. There's that darkness has been lifted, and there's that hope, um, which is that like what we're doing, those stories of recovery and hope. They're finally getting to see that glimpse that there is hope and there is light at that end of that tunnel. Um, because people don't choose to come here. They're, they come here when they've lost everything. And now they have hope that they can be able to get back to life, get back to a job, get back with family, re-engage with their children. Um, you just you can see that hope, and then they, can, they, then they can work even harder towards it. There's never been any story we've here had there's never been any story we've had in this podcast series that has been a repeat of another man's story. Everyone has been unique. Everyone has had different reasons how they ended up here. There's one common theme is that there seemed to be one angel or person in the right place at the right time with men who had no idea this place existed. This What is Guiding Light? And whether they were on the east side of the state or they were in another state or they were somewhere passed out in the back of a room or a car or had just tried to take their life and awakened after passing out and somehow ending up on a bus and (laughs) coming up to Grand Rapids. And believe me, folks, that's not a made-up story. That's a real real story. story. Yes, One of the stories, if you go back several episodes on this podcast series, you can hear it. And I, I have to tell you when we, and for full disclosure, we call this in the media business, pulling the curtain back. I came to Starla, and Starla and I had done several interviews on the radio but I came to you and I said, this would be a pretty cool thing to do as a podcast series. I never was sure what kind of reaction and responses we'd get from the men, but um, you are a big part of that. Our technical wizard behind the scenes who's been on this podcast episode now twice, Doug Pansy, has been a part of that as well. And we've had some incredible stories, but you not only uh, can talk the talk, you've walked the walk, which right. is pretty cool. It's pretty powerful. I would have loved to have seen the reaction from the man who heard your story, mm-hmm. who was probably incredulous that you had been homeless. But what happened when he heard that story? You Do know, you remember? I, I think he was surprised. And um, and he actually does um, work here now. I think we have a, a big mutual respect. Um, he's a huge help to me. Oh, yeah. um, he helps with a lot of our mailings and appeals and things like that. Mm-hmm. After that initial conversation, he would he'd find some research and things like that when he was able to be online while and things, and he'd always pull articles and share them with me and because um, he also just felt like this you know that other people outside of the city or outside of the building didn't understand what what the men were going through and so I think he really was trying to you know share information with me so that I could tell those stories even better and um, and he's right that is my job is to tell the real true stories. Um, of recovery and hope, in essence. And this is also an opportunity, um, when you brought the idea of doing this podcast, 
um, you know, one of the things that the men go through in recovery, one of the seven focus points is vulnerability and honesty. Those are Mm. two different ones. And for them to come here and be vulnerable and be honest is part of their process in recovery. So this is just another step that they can do while telling their story and being honest about it. Not only that, I don't know if anybody shares with them, there are some of the most powerful men and women in the world who have no ability to be vulnerable and honest. It is an incredibly human and incredibly gifted thing to be able to bear one's soul and just to say, this is me, this is who I am. And let go of that shame Yeah, and tell your story. And tell your story, and that's... That's what this is all about. That's what this program is all about. I know that these episodes exist because of people who make them possible. In in the case of this podcast series, we want to acknowledge Treadstone funding, but more importantly, the men who come in and out of recovery, uh, who graduate from this program, the men come through the doors that day one, as you said, with darkness, Mm -hmm. day 31 with a twinkle in their eye and hope a visible sense of hope from their eyes into their soul. That happens because of the support that many, many, many donors, many monthly donors, many donors of all kinds, including people that just walk up and hand a staff member here (laughs) a check and say, I love what you guys are doing. Guiding Light Programming is free to every client who's willing to take action and learn to turn their life over in a new way. And with your support as a donor, Guiding Light is able to provide a safe and nurturing environment designed to meet the needs of every man. And these are pretty significant needs, not only physical needs, but emotional needs, mental needs, spiritually pouring into these men as well, all at no charge to them when they go into the recovery program here. Uh, It is so impactful. These programs, not only recovery, back to work, of course, Iron House, so incredibly important, so incredibly impactful. You can make a secure donation online safely today at guidinglightworks.org, guidinglightworks.org. And most importantly, Starl and I both hope that you will subscribe, share, or even review this podcast. Now, this podcast needs to have nothing less than five-star reviews. <laughs> That's all there is. That's all I, I have to say. I think we're worth it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And more seriously, more candidly, more honestly, with your help, we'd love to have you spread the word. That would be so great. Tell a friend about this podcast series. If you will, if you feel it in your heart, if you've never supported Guiding Light, please make a secure donation online at guidinglightworks.org. You're probably listening to this on your phone or on your laptop or a tablet. You can do that while you are listening to previous episodes or our next episode. We so appreciate you and your support. Starla, I so appreciate hearing your story and appreciate what you have been able to make happen with this podcast series. We we have a great team here, and it's such an honor and a pleasure to be a part of it. Thank you, and thank you, Phil, for um, helping us out on this new adventure. We appreciate it. Again, you've been listening to Casting the Light, stories of recovery and hope. Here at Guiding Light, I'm Phil Tower. Thank you for listening.